Joining me is one of the original Astros, and we talked with him before about a couple of years ago on the 50th anniversary, but uh, great to have him back, Bob Aspermani, the first Astro to hit a home run in, in, in the Astros uniform, or Colt 45s back in that time, that you, you had the first hit and the first run. Is that all right? First first hit and first run with the Colt 45s, and that's the first home run in the Astrodome for an Astro player. I want to get uh, to some of the Astros stuff, but I, I want to take you back further than that because I have this strange fascination with the, the 40s and the 50s in, in, in Brooklyn, and you grew up in that era, and it was a, this incredible Brooklyn Dodgers era, the Ebbets Field was how far away from you when you were growing up in Brooklyn? You could walk there, I would imagine, right? It was only about 10 minutes away, and actually we we idolized those players incredibly so. The impact they had on that environment, the old Brooklyn Dodgers, Gil Hodges and Duke Snyder, Pee Reese, they created a tremendous atmosphere for a lot of young people. Jackie's when he breaks the color barrier, and I, it was forty six, forty seven, I guess, and and you were maybe just a little kid, right, at that time. Oh yes, I was only seven, eight years old. What kind of impact does it make when you're a little kid and and you see that happen? Did, does it something that uh, sticks with you? Did you did you understand what was going on at all? Have an idea? I think you, you understanding the exact situation that was transpiring was a little difficult at that age, but as you grew a little older get into the high school environment and watch this incredible player play this incredible game the way he did. And he was doing that on and off the field. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jackie, and I've got an incredible story that he and I experienced. i never forget when I signed the contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Walt Olson was the manager. He says, Bobby, I want you to go field some ground balls. Before the game with Jackie Robinson, Pee Wee Reese, and Gil Hodges. Well, that little body wouldn't move. <laughs> it just didn't move. And eventually when I got there, I had this kind of oversized glove. It's more like an outfielder's glove. So as we're catching and feeling the ground balls, Jackie says, Bobby, that's more of an outfielder's glove. You need an infielder's glove. Here, try my glove. So I used his glove, and we did very well there for quite a while before the game. And I said, oh, Jackie, thank you, thank you. He says, no, Bobby, you keep that glove. And I kept that glove for many, many years. Do you still have the glove to yeah, this yeah. day? You still got it. That's great. Well, um, let me get uh, a little bit into Brooklyn because you, you, you went to Lafayette High School in Brooklyn. And there were some famous actors that were there at the time. I don't even know if you know these guys, but Paul Sorvino and Michael Lerner. Uh, Paul Sorvino, uh, everybody knows him, I think, more for his daughter, these days, uh, Mira Sorvino, but uh, he's a, still a, a fantastic actor. And, and Michael Lerner was uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Were those guys that you knew at all back in that time? Because I think they were going to school right right around the time you were going there. Well, right around, you know, it's so funny. We're, we're the baseball environment and the sports environment, it was really a lot different. We were so close to everyone except besides the uh, the entertainers. As you know, we had a lot of singers and victimones, and we had a lot of professional people that really did well yeah larry king i think larry to, king that's right <laughs> he was a graduate from lafayette high school so yeah lots of great guys that went to school there and uh we talked about it you, you mentioned the story about jackie robinson when you got up you you just got one at bat and we talked about how uh you struck out in your one at bat and and they were it was already 17 to 3 at the time that you came up in the game but uh you, you got to play with all these guys when you were with the dodgers a little bit 
those guys in Brooklyn, but th- you came back and you played a little bit and, and for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think there was a military stint in there somewhere too, right, mm-hmm. uh, between those two stints. And then uh, some of the guys that you played with, and I, I just wondered if you had a story. Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax. Tell me about those two guys. What do you remember? I remember an awful lot about those two. Two outstanding pitchers, but also individuals. And Sandy Koufax graduated from Lafayette High School. Right. He's our superstar. <laughs> so we had 12 major leaguers graduating from our Lafayette High School, and Sandy was the absolute superstar. And uh, and that's you, Don Drysdale. What an incredible career he had. And really very inspirational helping young people, too. They were very involved in that. And I like the situation where uh, how we grew together. And Sandy is almost three years older than I, and he was with the Dodgers. And then when I joined the Dodgers, they put the two Lafayette High School boys together on a road trip. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> the young two young kids going on a Brooklyn Dodger road trip together after graduating from Lafayette High School. And Sandy was a pretty quiet guy from what I from what I've heard. He still is, very much so. Just a just a wonderful guy and very uh, considerate and gentle. Let me ask you about a couple other of those guys because it's like the whole team is full of guys that are of lore at this point. Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, Gil Hodges, anything that you remember from those guys? Gil Hodges really took care of me. Robert, it was incredible how he took care of that 18-year-old boy. And uh, that was on and off the field. He made me understand exactly what was taking place. And the relationship grew as I continued to grow and come to Houston and do all of the uh, baseball playing here. And the most interesting thing about this, I wore number 14 because of Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges, number nine, two, was 14. He was just an idolized guy, just very respectful. And then almost 15 years later, Gil traded me to join the New York Mets in my last year. So the funniest part of that relationship, I says, uh, Gil, you're always sitting on the bench. You, let me wear 14. You. <laughs> he, he looked at me and said, Bobby, you're number two. <laughs> And your manager was Walter Alston, another great guy. What do you remember about him? Well, Walter was really strong, quiet, strong, but gentle. At the same time, he really had control. You know, as you know, he wasn't one of the guys who would jump on the news media and say all the things that you're supposed to. But he was uh, very, very successful in how he handled that ball club. When you got all those superstars, it's not easy to run everybody and to play like they did play. Now, is this true? Uh, I'm going to go to your Houston days because I love this story. There was a Bob Aspermani night at one point in Houston, and you can tell me if this is true. They gave you 3,000 pounds of spaghetti. I guess it was bring your spaghetti for Bob Aspermani, and 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 you also got a uh, trip to Italy from the from all this, and and then you donated all the spaghetti to the to the local hospitals. What do you remember about all oh, that? Oh, that was that was a very special evening. When they honored me, that was my 1,000th game as an Astro. And the interesting thing about it, they wanted to create Aspro the Aggie Night. Aspro the Aggie Night. So they had all my, my the Aggies and the Texas A&M group and and one of the one of the most incredible situations was that they wanted the young students to come out, and they had over five six hundred people. And as they started the ceremonies, and we all gave so much to the Texas Children's Hospital, and they gave me a trip to Rome, Italy. 
And it was just impressive, you know, to start the game like that, and they're all applauding, yes, Brody Aggie, yes, Brody Aggie. The game starts, first inning. An easy ground ball comes to me, goes right through my legs for an error. Stands was so quiet. <laughs> the Aggies didn't say a word. And I can, and the inning was over. Now the last of the first inning, bases loaded, two outs, and I come to the plate. And, you know, I've hit some Grand Slam home runs, so they're all yelling, Aspro, Grand Slam, Aspro, Grand Slam. And sure enough, I struck out. So now I'm walking back towards third base and all my little Aggie buddies alongside me. And then a couple of them start to yell out, make it a one-way trip. Make it a one-way trip. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think you said uh, you said that uh, the, the fans were sorry they hadn't given me a one-way ticket to, to Italy <laughs> because you had such a bad year the next year. <laughs> and you played with uh, – over your time, I want to get your thoughts on some of the guys you played with because, boy – uh, some really good players. Joe Morgan, what do you remember about a young Joe Morgan? That was a guy that, as an Astro fan, was so fr- so frustrating because, you know, he has that great part of his career with all with the Cincinnati Reds. But, you know, he spent all of his growing up in Houston. Joey was a, an outstanding second baseman, and he was strong. He had some power. And he had a combination of being able to do an awful lot on the field and hitting and fielding and just a total player. And to watch this young kid grow, especially alongside with Jimmy Wynn and Rusty Staub, and we had a lot of young, outstanding players growing at that time. But Joey was special. You can tell that was very coming. He was coming on very fast and how he's handled himself and played. Let me get another guy, uh, Eddie Matthews. The Astros get him at the end of his career. What do you remember about him? Well, Eddie joined our ball club as a, you know, as a utility player who – Worked with the young kids. He was the veteran player, and he, he also assisted me and a lot of the infielders as we played. But Eddie had an incredible career. I mean, we all idolize him when, you, when he joined the ball club and watched him hit the ball in spring training and say, but look at the career this man had. Hit his 500th home run with the Astros as well. Uh, Larry Durker, you had to understand what Larry was going through because Larry comes up when he's 18 years old to pitch his first game and you came up with the Dodgers at 17 what do you remember did you talk to Larry and say oh. this is what, how you handle it yeah Larry we had a funny first first game that Larry pitched he's pitching so well and and you know, it's at the top of the ninth inning at last of the eighth inning they're ahead we're losing the game the Dodgers were ahead so at the top of the ninth inning uh, we needed a couple of runs to tie the score, and Larry's waiting. He says, "I want to. I got a pitch in the last of the ninth inning." And then naturally, we lost the game, three outs. And Larry says, "Do I go take the field now?" I said, "No, Larry. We lost the game." <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Herschel, it's all. He wrote a great story about that. How good a pitcher was Larry? Because. You know, I grew up, I, I only know the Larry Durker that was the broadcaster. And like a lot of fans, it was the broadcaster, the manager. Um, people might not remember Larry the pitcher. How would you describe him? How, how good was he? He was very good. I mean, he had a couple of 20-game winning seasons. He pitched a lot of key games. He pitched often, had a lot of innings. And he won, you know, the key games. Larry was always there for that ball club as, we, as that team grew. And and during the 80s and 90s, and that's when he became manager, it was a, a, a tremendous transition from his playing days to manager. 
he was pretty consistent in how he controlled that game. Do you have a couple of Doug Raiders stories? Because I heard he, he might have been a little bit of a character. A uh, <laughs> little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Doug was a heck of a ball player. I tell you, he gave himself 100% on that field. But we had some funny stories about Doug. I'll never forget, he had a home run that was, I don't know, one of the long, longest hit in the Astrodome. And we uh, we teased him about that and... And we, it says, how, how did you hit the ball so far when you, you know, when you talk so much? And uh, sure enough, you, you continued on. So Doug Rader, another one of the guys you play with. Um, one more guy I want to ask you about, Bob Watson. I remember the back end of his career. What was the young Bob Watson like as a player? Well, Bobby was a very talented, gifted individual. Bobby was good on, especially in key situations, which I think is very important to see. In game-winning situations, where you needed that base hit or you needed that extra base hit to score that run. And Bobby was there, and he was always there in a nice way of making sure that the plays, all of us, respected not only what he was doing, but what all were doing. And he had that player atmosphere to him. Bobby's special. The early days in Houston, you get here, you're, you're selected in the expansion draft. What did you think? Because I don't know what you knew about Houston before you got here. And how were the fans? Did they seem knowledgeable to you? They had been uh, had a little baseball with the Cardinals Double A and the Houston Buffs over the years. What were those early days? What do you remember? Well, it was a lot of a lot of memories. And being a youngster coming into a city, it was that time not a major league city. It was only five hundred thousand people in the city limits. And when you look at Judge Roy Hoffines and R.E. Bob Smith, what they did in making sure this became a major league franchise by putting this incredible eighth wonder of the world together, the Astrodome. When we started that in 1962, when you look at a new franchise, they knew very little about the game of baseball because it was football-oriented. And we put on many, many different uh, functions to educate the youngsters, and we were very active in the community. And the player-fan relationship was really growing and grew very rapidly, and especially before the Astrodome. So we had two to three years working towards this incredible opening of the Dome that I think was one of the greatest experiences uh, that I've ever experienced, and so many others felt the same way. People think of the 50s and 60s maybe a baseball as the golden era. Do you think that's, as somebody that's went through it, do you feel like it's overplayed? I'm sure it wasn't as golden for you to, to travel on a on a on a public, uh, public airline when you guys went around, or maybe before that, I, I think you were post the, 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 the traveling on trains and stuff like that you, you'd rather prefer the the golden era of the private uh non-commercial jets but uh what what was it like to to play in that era and do you feel like that was a golden era of baseball I, I think you could use the word golden era and there's a lot of reasons for that the relationships that was established by the star players and the fans there was no gap there i mean they made sure that everybody had that feel that that they appreciate you being there as the fan and supporting them. And a lot of players did that because of the relationships with the fan, I think is critically important, but also the players. Some of these players, you know, they played 160 games a year. You know, they played all the time. And and now these kids here are so gifted and talented. They're, they're, when we When we look at... The physical workouts that they go through for 12 months a year, it's incredible what they can do. And that's why I think the players nowadays and the, the atmosphere of the game, because of that, is, is very critical. What was the biggest game 
and your time with the Astros as a team. We talked about the great story with you individually and hitting a home run. We talked about that last time. That was great for you individually, but was there a game for the team of those of those times? Because they weren't really that competitive at, the, at that era in the 60s. No, but every time there was a key game, playing a, a Dodgers or the the Giants, and, and there's a key situation late in the innings. You know, we were able to come through a few games, and especially doing that in the Astrodome. We played a 24-inning game in the Astrodome. We won the game one nothing, and I hit the ball uh, to win the game. So it, when you look at situations like that, we've had a, quite a few experiences like that, but, but we didn't have a great season. We lost a lot of games, but still uh, – the atmosphere was great. Let me ask you some quick questions. I'm going to run through a few things. The best all-around player that you played with in your career, who would you say that was? Well, the, the best all-around, naturally, when I, I look at the different times, the Dodgers and the Astros and ourselves, and i got to go back, when you experience as a youngster these incredible players like a Jackie Robinson, like a Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, the, the years that they had and how they played for as long as they did and the caliber of play was incredible. But you played with Hank Aaron. He's pretty good, too. To me, Hank Aaron was the best. Oh, I, I, I really did. As an individually, on and off the field, he was the best. This incredible stroke that he had to be able to hit the ball as, with the distance, but as often as he had to hit those home runs like he did, what a great way to, uh, to look at somebody who – You'd admire at the same time showed no, no showmanship. No, they didn't show off at all. Now let me get the best pitcher that you played with and the one best pitcher that you faced, uh, because we talked about you. You played with uh, Sandy Koufax and you played with John Drysdale. This could be a tough uh, answer for you to get out of. But who was the best one that you played with? We'll start off with that one. <laughs> the interesting uh, the one I played with. Uh, I'm going to have to say you mentioned the two great names there, which is incredible. But from more consistency, there was no one who pitched better than Sandy Koufax for that six-year period in the history of the game. When you look at that, you've got to say Sandy. It's incredible. You can look it up. You can make notifi- notify the numbers that were experienced. Did you face did. him? And you know what else I did, Robert? They hit two home runs oh, off boy. <laughs> And each one, every time I hit a home run, I would come back in the dugout, and all the all, all my teammates would say, sure, you went to school with him. That's why he laid it right in there for you. <laughs> uh, who was the best one that you faced? Uh, I mean, uh, you faced Sandy, but g- give me another one. A guy, oh, Easy. Th- Most difficult pitcher that I have ever faced was Bob Gibson. I got my first big league hit off of Bob Gibson. And 15 years later, I was waiting for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on your back by the next time you faced him? That's right. <laughs> he probably put you down for that one. Your favorite stadium that you visited, uh, favorite stadium to go to as a player? Dodger Stadium is very special, even to this day. <clears throat> and that's got to be 55-year-old stadium. And it, the atmosphere of how O'Malley put that together was just incredible how you can drive to the certain locations of your seats and and the atmosphere of the outside of the ballpark was beautiful. But to this day, the way they keep that stadium is outstanding. Yeah, Chavez Ravine, and, and you enjoyed that one more than you went to Wrigley, I'm sure. And, and Fenway, I don't know if those 
had the, the the magic that they do now because they are the oldest stadiums at that point and when you when you were playing well Wrigley Wrigley you always had a special feeling there and I'm telling you when you took that feel and the fans and you see that incredible stadium and the age of the stadium and uh, it, it was very special because of the, the ability to hit, hit some home runs at the same time, the atmosphere of the of the stadium was outstanding. I got a couple of other things that you can tell me if this is true. You made national headlines in 1968 by refusing to play on the National Day of Mourning following the assassination of Robert Kennedy, the, the, the great senator. What happened? What do you remember about that? Well, I remember an awful lot about that. Uh, I was player representative, and we were making that decision. The major league was saying that we're not going to play on that day. And everybody agreed to it. But there was a last-minute change that everybody says, we're going to play and actually create the atmosphere before the game about what took place. Well, with my position at that time, uh, I felt very strongly that I would not going to be able to make that change after being so strong in favor of not playing. And uh, Rusty Staub was the other player, as well as Maury Wills, and we created a, a feeling that it, it was just not right for us because we took such a strong position and felt so strong about it. And what I received from the Kennedy families in letters and telegrams was absolutely incredible. I got every one of those saved, and it was a very special time. Which Kennedys did you get hear from? Well, Jacqueline and, and, and oh, actually uh, what we talk about when you look at uh, 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 Ted, and you're talking, you're talking about the family of of uh, you got me blank right now. Jackie and Ted, they wrote you. Yes. Oh wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, let me ask you also. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you were once traded for a pitcher named Ron Herbel. Does that name sound familiar? <laughs> what a transaction that was! Nobody heard about that one. <laughs> now let me tell you about Herbel because this was pretty. This is not going to make you feel good, but he has the worst career batting average in Major League history with a minimum of 100 at bats. He hit 029. <laughs> and then also, you were traded for Marty Martinez. You remember oh yes, that? yes, yes, yes. And and he didn't. Now Marty Martinez didn't hit one home run in his 940 five major league at-bats, but he was the guy that scouted and signed Edgar Martinez and Omar Vizquel later on. Oh. So, so I don't know if you remember the, much about those guys, no. but <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, when we were talking about great pitchers that you faced and, and you played with, these guys you played with, they were younger at the time, but when you went to the Mets, Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. We had an incredible ball club. The New York Mets – when you look at Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, and you you look at the, the ability that they had at that age and the control they had with Gentry is the other one. The, the list gun, Kuzman was the other one. They had four or five outstanding pitchers and all youngsters. And remember what they did in 1969. Uh, I was with the Braves then. And they Naturally, beat us, and then went into the World Series and won the World Series for Gil Hodges. What about a, a young Nolan Ryan? Do you have any? Did you talk to him? Oh yes, we, Nolan. Nolan's been a friend for a long time, and actually being in Houston environment and with the ball club, we were together an awful lot. And I, and Ruth Ryan, and they're just super people. I mean, they really are, and he, so I respect them a lot. Also on the Mets team that you played with, I believe, was Tug McGraw, and McGraw. 
people know Tug McGraw for his for his son, the country singer now. But uh, Tug McGraw was a hell of a pitcher, wasn't he? Oh, yes. He came in in the late innings and did a great job. He was always in total control, tough guy. He was good. He was not able to sing, though. (laughs) 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 We've had to pass it on. Now, also, you you played with these future managers. And let me ask you if you thought that any of these guys were going to be managers and any memories that you've got from them. But you played with Walt Reniak, who's... Great hitting coach, legendary hitting coach, too, Walt Riniak, Dusty Baker, and Roger Craig. Is that right? All three of those guys you played with, and all three of them became major league managers. Did you realize as you're playing with them, oh, these guys could be managing down the road? They know their stuff. I think Roger Craig I felt that way about. I really did. Because he, uh, Roger was a key individual pitcher for the Dodgers, but the way he handled himself, too, the way he handled the players, I had a lot of respect for him, and a lot of people did, too. And and you know he was Dusty was known as pretty Roger was known as pretty feisty but Dusty maybe even feistier feisty of a Dusty that's right Dusty and he had an incredible baseball career himself and I think that had a lot to do with following that up with becoming a manager they were competitors I would yes, assume yes they were um, let me ask you about we talked about him earlier but you know Hank Aaron boy uh, you were playing it with Hank Aaron it was later in his career towards the end but. It wasn't long after that where he hits uh, the the home run that surpasses uh, Babe Ruth. Uh, what do you remember about Hank Aaron, the player? Did you did you get a chance to see him much in his prime? Did, were you playing against him and on other teams in his prime? And 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 just talk about what he did that was so great on a baseball field. I played against him actually most of my career. Then had the opportunity to be a teammate of his for two years, and to watch him play. And on, on, on a regular basis, the way he generated the power and the way the, the way he controlled himself in the field. And Hank has such a low-key atmosphere to himself. He didn't, nothing braggadocious. He's very straightforward, the nicest guy he can be. And then you watch him perform on that field. Everybody just kind of lit up like a light bulb. Orlando Cepeda, there's another guy that you played with with the Braves. Uh, what do you remember? What what what, what was uh, Orlando Cepeda like as a player and as a teammate? Orlando, naturally, the great first baseman. We used to tease him all the time because he he was not able to move as well as we we wanted him to. We used to tease him, to, but Orlando was one great ball player as well, and he performed very well for a long period of time. And he was fun to play around and fun to be with, and he made the game really enjoyable. The Astros playing with the Astros. What what's so special? Do you feel like about that part of your career? Because you you start off the franchise and you decided to make Houston home. Uh, This place, the the city of Houston, obviously has become a real part of your life. And and you're a Brooklyn kid. It doesn't necessarily connect the two the two cities. They're very very different. I'm sure. Um, Why why Houston and and what what has made this place so special for you? Well, I think most important is when you're a youngster coming into the city of Houston starting a new franchise and creating new relationships and watch the growth that took place on and off the field. But mostly when they watch this incredible dome stadium being built and to be part of that. And we did a lot of off the field relationships with the teams and charitable organizations to stimulate the interest of what we can do and to be part of the growth. I was very fortunate because from there I went into the business community I had 15 years of major leagues, and I had almost 30 years in the business community. And it it created that atmosphere when I got 
uh, able to get a distributorship here right after my playing days from for Houston, Texas. Who do you think, because you've seen a bunch of them, who's the best pitcher in Astros history? Because there's a lot of guys to choose from, J.R. Richard and Nolan Ryan, and, and Mike Scott had a couple of great years, Cy Young years, and Roy Oswalt. And, you know, Don Wilson, the late Don Wilson, was a really good pitcher as well. Who do you feel like's the best Astros pitcher that you've seen? Well, I think it's I think it's pretty tough to single one individual out because you had several that really did very well in the names you mentioned. So you look at it from the standpoint they all were successful in their times. And, the, and to be the best is very tough to single out the best when you have so many that did so well. Best hit, best hitter or best player maybe, best all-around player for the Astros. Biggio is the guy that, that seems to be the gold standard but you know, I've talked with a couple of other guys, including Tal Smith. He'll tell you that Cesar Cedeno was as talented as anybody he's ever seen. Who do, who do you feel like is the best player in Astros history? I agree that Cesar was a very talented individual, was able to play very well on and off. But I thought that Craig Biggio is the number one Astro in the franchise history. When you play 20 years like he played, and he played so often, and uh, to watch the total dedication of, of his playing days and the success he had for a second baseman, I, he's, he's the, my number one. When you played with the Astros, who were the guys that were your friends? Who, do, who were your buddies? And I'm sure there's some of them that you probably continue to stay connected with today. Who were the guys that uh, you really yeah, bonded lot, with back in that time? We had a lot of, we had a lot of friends. When you, when you look back, you know, my, my Rusty Staub days, Joey Malfatino, Al Spangler, Carl Warwick. You know, we have a lot of players living here in Houston, Texas, as you know. And to this day, uh, we get together occasionally, not you for golf tournaments and everything, but but uh, Hal Smith, the catcher, uh, it, it, we have a lot of the players that played in the 60s here in Houston right now. Would you have liked to have played today with the shift? Would would you have been able to take advantage of the shift? Do you, do you like uh, the idea of what they're doing as a philosophy of, of shifting everybody, or would it have driven you crazy? <laughs> I think it would have driven me crazy, but at the same time, I think it's successful, but I don't like it. I think it, I think it takes an awful lot away from a lot of situations that could occur. And you, you're sure there's pull hitters, there's streak hitters, there's all the different kind of hitters that you can focus on, but I think the overall game part of it, there's a lot of open feel there that people can take advantage of, but... No, you you have to do it. Is there anybody that you played with or played against uh, from your era that you feel like deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I think the one that's taking place right now is the one I thought should be, and that's Jeff, and that's Bagwell. And I, I think I think it took a little time. I understand that, but at the same time, Bagwell did a great. He had a rough last three years because of injuries, but you realize what he accomplished throughout the years. But I think I think. You know, when you look back, there's a, there's a lot of great players, and it's tough to really say, you know, when you to qualify for the Hall of Fame requires an awful lot. Some people would say, guy, you played with Gil Hodges, we mentioned earlier. I have supported Gil on a regular basis, on an annual basis, talking to every one of the nominees about Gil Hodges, one of the greatest first baseman, individual, dedicated person to the game of baseball. Everybody loved him. How could you leave this man out of this Hall of Fame is outrageous. What about this current Astros team? Uh, I mean, everybody is pretty darn excited. What do you see when you see these guys? Because, 
you know, I, I've pointed out a couple of different times, this team has a lineup that they can put out nine guys that can hit 20-plus home runs. Uh, the pitching is uh, – they've got some good, really good solid guys, but maybe uh, unless Lance McCullers and, and Dallas Keuchel can stay healthy and, and you get the Dallas Keuchel that you got a couple of years ago, you don't necessarily have the overpowering guys. Lance McCullers is the one of that group. How do you feel about this team, uh, and, and how does it look against some of the other teams that you've seen over the years? I think, I think the chances of this ball club going all the way is very good. This is an incredibly young, talented ball club. I mean, look at your positions, how these kids can not only play the game on the field as well as, uh, I should say, hitting as well as feeling. They do everything. They have speed. They have the ability. When you see Springer diving for balls at 45-degree angles, I mean, these kids can play this game very well, and I think it's going to go a long way. Pitching actually has to improve. We know that. But at the same time, I think it will. And I think this, the future is very bright. You talked about Craig Biggio and what he was able to accomplish. If Alt- Jose Altuve continues on this, is he going to overtake Biggio? Is he, does he a better talent than even Biggio, maybe? Well, I mean, when you look at the f- f- four or five years it's taken place, it's incredible. This kid's only 26 years old. Look what he's accomplished. And now he's starting to hit some home runs. I mean, each year there's a new transition to the success of his ability. And... uh I, and I like his attitude. You know, he, he keeps wanting to do better. No, nothing is satisfactory to him. We we talked about Tal Smith about this. Uh, I guess you can't underestimate the small second baseman because Joe Morgan was the same guy. I mean, is there anybody that you would compare him to? Is Joe Morgan the closest guy at that size to be able to do the things that he can do? I think Joe Morgan, yeah, he's closer. But Joe is a little stronger looking to me. You know, this he's five foot six. And to see the, the incredible strength that comes out of the body and how he moves that bat across that ball, it's, it's uh, very impressive. And the ball, how that ball jumps off the bat for a young five foot six kid is incredible. What do you think they should do to the, with the Astrodome? I mean, do you have any good ideas? Because we're, we're looking for some. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. We're working very hard, and Judge Edmund has just been incredible saving that Dome Stadium. And I feel very strongly about it because, you know, when you, when you started and watched this city grow because of the dome, and and now it's an historical site, we need to do something that can salvage the incredible impression it's given to the city of Houston by doing a lot of good things. A lot of people don't realize that field is 35 feet below ground level. And it's really interesting how many people don't realize that. So we have to now, because of the new regulations, that has to be covered. And uh, I, I think... When you look at what can be done from a facility, from an amusement park, from an atmosphere for young kids as well as hotel accommodate or, or the area, what they're trying to do now with the 1,400 parking spaces, there's a lot of things could be done. But that stadium, uh, if you remove all everything, all the seats and everything, that's 420,000 square feet of space that you can do an awful lot with. Explain to people what an impact Judge Roy Hoffines made on the community and what kind of a guy, because you, you had a chance to meet him and be around him, what kind of guy he was. Well, Judge and his daughter, Dini, who I'm very close with right now, Judge Roy Hoffines, to experience how he put this together. And remember, that's when we started the drafting of players coming from other ball clubs here. But what he did with R.E. Bob Smith in putting this incredible dome stadium together with 
a model of it to show the Major League franchise what they want to do and how he grew and gained the dollars necessary to put this together. That stadium realized, the I think, the growth of Houston made it rapidly change. An identification of Houston's name being put in that newspaper news every day made a big difference early on. And and we had almost 2 million people visit the Dome without even a game being played. I mean, it had that kind of an impact. And Judge Roja finds, there's a, you know, what he did was just amazing. He was a very extremely bright individual. And how to take a trip to Rome, Italy at the Coliseum, come back with a thought like that is just outstanding. Personality-wise, was he a guy that you walked into a room and everybody kind of knew that he was there? Was he? Did he have sort of a magnetic personality? Would oh you call yes, it? he was aggressive. You know, you know the, the likes and dislikes always there. You know that, but I think he he he, he made sure he expressed his opinions and you knew where he, he was coming from. Well, hey, this has been fantastic. I always love talking to you about what's going on with the Astros now, but I loved hearing about the history and. Uh, just a real pleasure, and I really want to thank you for, for joining me on another Houston Sports Talk. It's been fun. Thank you, Robert. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net. Mm-hmm.